Look, down on the ground. It's a germ. It's a worm. It's 508. Bursting from the subterranean depths of Wormtown like the mighty Shy Hulud, it's 508, a show about Worcester. It's July the 13th, 2018, and today we begin a brand new 508 adventure, an adventure packed with mystery and action and fun with the most surprising guest you've ever met, Olivia W.B. Hello there, gang. This is your pal, Olivia W.B. Say, fellas, I know you're wanting to talk about historic preservation and economic development on this week's show, but I have some news for you. I'm planning to move out of Worcester very soon. Well, good luck, Olivia. Say, can we ask you one favor before you go? What's that, Mike? Can we, oh. Uh, <laughs> can we give you an exit interview? <laughs> sure, that'd be swell. This is Mike Benedetti with Brendan Mellican, and today, among other things, we will be giving Olivia an exit interview. Worcester's oldest tradition is getting out when the time is right. And so we totally support people moving on to better things, but we also want to record any Worcester wisdom they have for the ages. How are you, Brendan? Fantastic. Olivia, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is very <laughs> exciting. This is the second time we've given somebody an exit interview, and it feels right. It feels like a thing we should be doing all the time. Yeah, it's nice closure. It's kind of what the HR department is here for. Uh, Olivia, how did you come to work for the company? <laughs> Slash move to Worcester. Um, yeah, so I came to Worcester after living in Boston on and off for around five years. Um, I was part of a show scene in Boston, like the DIY um, basement show scene. And um, because of a lot of gentrification that was happening, a lot of these collective houses and show houses were getting shut down. Um, so I kind of randomly met some people from Worcester, and I had heard all of these amazing amazing legends about Worcester. Um, like a friend of mine uh, who, who had uh, been hitchhiking and ended up in Worcester told me a story of getting picked up by a random person who had a trunk full of golden coins and then put him up for a couple <laughs> nights. Of course. Um, <laughs> I heard about this house that has a tree house with a fireplace in it and where everybody pays the rent by selling used books online. <laughs> Of course, when I actually met people from Worcester and talked to them about all these legends, they were only very, very partially true. They were slightly exaggerated. Yes, slightly. But did did you did you find out? Did you find that moving to Worcester was a good move? Yeah, it was incredible. Um, I moved here thinking like, okay, this is just going to be an in-between zone for me. I'm going to be here for um, like two or four months or something like that, and just focus on myself, and then like move on to somewhere else. Um, and I totally didn't realize that there was so much going on here. And, um, you know, within a couple of days, I, like, made friends with some people, and um, here I am five and a half years later. But now you're tired of it. I'm not. I'm actually not tired of it, which is, like, kind of an interesting thing about my situation is that um, it's bittersweet. I'm really excited to be, like, moving on with... Um, I'm going to school in Boston in the fall. Um, I'm really excited about that and what I'm going to be studying, but... I would, if the school was in Worcester, I'd be much happier. So, so that was so. The next question on on the paper that HR gives us is, why are you leaving the company? And the answer is to continue your education. Yes. What can you can you tell us what sort of school this is? Yeah, I'm going to New England Conservatory. It's um, a music school in Boston. Um, I'm going to be studying in the contemporary improvisation department, and. Um, I'm really excited about it because I don't really have a formal background in music, and I never thought music school was it was within reach for me. Um, but I'm super passionate about playing music, and I'm really excited to gain some some skills that, yeah. 
But and you do a lot of music around Worcester. Yeah, totally. Um, it's been a primary focus of mine in Worcester. How would you describe this music? I always describe it as like Captain Beefheart, but I don't know, <laughs> I don't know enough about genres to know if that's accurate or inaccurate. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people have um, asked me if I listen to Captain Beefheart, and I actually never really did. Um, and then some people describe it as being like King Crimson, and I haven't really listened to them either. It's a range from like um, finger-picking acoustic guitar stuff on my own to like proggy stuff in a band. And um, I like the term scronk a lot. It kind of just describes this really like abrasive free jazz guitar style um, that's pretty dissonant um, and spastic. So those are the kinds of things I'm into. Some people describe it as cartoon grindcore. Like what's his what's his face? <laughs> I'm totally I'm totally I, I have not I have, I have had like one hour of sleep this week, so I'm totally forgetting. What, the next question is, what could we do to improve the situation that's causing you to leave? And I guess the answer is, we could have there be a better music school in Worcester. We could build, <laughs> we could build a conservatory. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what is the company doing right? Ooh. Um. So some amazing, yeah, no, like there's tons of stuff that's incredible about Worcester. Worcester is a really unique place I've found um, in terms of like DIY community infrastructure. There's so many collective houses here and um, Stone Soup, the community center is an incredible space. Um, There's a lot of people who are putting effort into creating longstanding community spaces um, that can support people pursuing Um, things that they're passionate about that maybe um, aren't always um, super financially viable things to pursue. And I think that the way that people support each other um, by creating spaces that people can return to and live in and um, work on their projects is really, really special. I don't see it in a lot of other cities that I've been to. I think it's true. I think I think a big part of it, my theory is that a big part of it is just that the city is not interested in enforcing it, like it enforces certain kinds of zoning laws, but it's not like obsessed with enforcing them. So yeah. there's certain kinds of things that people can do in Worcester. I mean, people have official things like stone soup, but then people just do a lot of things as far as housemates or events or whatever that are maybe technically, you know, a, a civil infraction. But the city is like, you know, what we got bigger fish to fry, and these kids doing their music is kind of cool, and let's not worry about it right now. Although the Worcester Magazine show, they were talking about. Um, uh, Warside, the end, the end of Warside. Really? They're tearing that place down. Why? Uh, I don't know. Some. They like somebody like was doing drugs and caught a couch on fire or something. Mm. Uh, yeah. So that that's. So maybe I mean I mean that's maybe a slightly different situation, but anyway, what is the company? What is the, what is the company doing poorly? I don't really have immediate feedback for that. I guess like. I guess, I guess maintaining these DIY spaces can be kind of challenging sometimes. I think that that's... Um, Do you want more support from the city on that? <laughs> I feel like the answer is no. You no. Don't. No, I think it's just that's just like a part of the struggle of trying to create spaces outside of um, having institutional support and like, you know, trying to scrape together things with other people in a really DIY fashion is that there's like not a ton of precedent for it a lot of the t- a lot of the time there's not a lot of people to turn to to help you when situations get tough and I think that people um, do care a lot and and work really hard to um, keep things afloat so I don't know it's like 
that criticism, I think, is a part of the whole process of trying to do a project like that anyways. Uh, this is 508, Worcester's Libertarian Voice. We'll be back in a minute with more. Hello there, gang. This is your pal, Olivia WB. Say, uh, is your appetite all primed to eat hearty when you show up at the breakfast table in the morning? Well, it's bound to be if there's a bowl of Worcester's Pep cereal waiting for you. And it'll get an extra lift if you'll treat yourself to a peach rocket. That's this week's pep dish of the week, you know, and it's a knockout. Try it tomorrow. First line the sides of your breakfast bowl with slices of firm, ripe peaches. Arrange them so that they're, they're pointing up, you know, like rockets. Pour your serving of Worcester's Pep, the sunshine cereal, in the middle so that the peaches show up above the flakes. Then, milk and sugar, and that's all it takes to make a peach rocket, a dish that'll make your appetite really skyrocket. You see, Worcester's Pep does something for the fruit. It's crisp, and it's crunchy, and it teases your taste so that you'll keep right on eating until your bowl is polished off clean. And you know, it's very important not to waste cereal nowadays when we're sending the cereal grains to fellas and girls across the seas. So gang, be sure to eat all your pep. Don't waste it. And now, 508, a show about Worcester continues. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about three people who had made a positive impact on your career here, and you said your bandmates. Yeah. So, I mean, that question's really hard to answer because there's so many people that I care about in Worcester, and there's, like, a lot of people who have interesting legacies here. Um, but the first pe- three people who come to mind are um, my bandmates, Anthony, Christian, and Amina, um, mostly because just as a group of people, like, they're – they're the group of people that I spend the most time with. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like through the process of writing music together, they've come to feel a lot like family to me. Um, I feel like they know me um, better than anyone else in Worcester probably right now. And you're going to try to keep the band going when you're in Boston. Yeah, yeah. So we're working on an album this summer. We already recorded a lot of it, but um, probably the whole process of finishing it up and doing layers on it, uh, the tracks that we already have down and stuff will um, bleed into the fall. So we're still going to be a band. Um, we're going to meet up periodically and work on stuff and hopefully do a tour or something next summer or maybe during some kind of spring break. So, yeah. Here's the last question that HR wants me to ask you. What kind of a person would get something out of moving to Worcester? Ooh, um, I guess a person who is um, very self-motivated, um, who sees the kind of um, potential um, projects that they could create in a supportive environment, but who maybe isn't looking for, you know, like... What's really cool about the scene in Worcester is that um, there's a lot of infrastructure there for you to work on stuff, but it's not always like the most happening place like Boston or New York or something like that. Um, so feeling like you have some kind of initiative to, to create your own fun. Um, and then once you once you bring that, like amazing stuff happens. Mike, we actually have a call, so I'm sure this is going oh. to go well. Hello, caller. Yes, caller. Hello. Hi, who is this? I got it's 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 the the pierogi the pierogi king of Worcester. Okay, <laughs> hi there. How are you doing? Hi, it's it's good. I got I got a question for uh, Olivia. I got two calls, two questions. <laughs> sure, go ahead, caller. Okay, first question, Olivia. What is your favorite pierogi filling? And then second question, what is your favorite ghost in Worcester? My favorite ghost. The s- yeah. The snow ghost. Oh. It's only one right Actually, you don't know the snow ghost that I've well. heard of the snow ghost, so I'm going to go with that because it seems to have some kind of... Um, 
significance here. I'm kind of interested in the pierogi filling, though. The pierogi, um, probably just a straightforward, like, potato and cheese filling is uh, my favorite. Um, sauerkraut's yeah, always yeah, good. Yeah, I like the classic. Oh, yeah. I'm a savory type, so, um, yeah. Okay, third third question third for question. everybody. You're pushing your collar, but go ahead. He is royalty. The last one. It's just true. If, if you had to eat a ghost inside of yes. a pierogi, yes. how would you make it happen? Hmm. Well, huh. here's what I think. First of all, if Bruce was here, I know he would have a pun that would explain this all. Yeah. If I had to eat a ghost inside of a pierogi, how would Are you I make saying it like happen? you're inside the pierogi with the ghost or the ghost is the filling inside the pierogi and you're outside the pierogi if, and going to I mean are you like trapped inside of this pierogi somehow, that's, If you you're saying that there's yeah. a pierogi there's a pierogi that's so big. There's a ghost and there's you. Inside the ghost the is in the pierogi. I think we're both in the pierogi. And you want the ghost and the pierogi both in you. No, I think we're both no, inside no, no, the pierogi no. and somebody right. else is going to No, eat no, it. you want you want call you want the ghost, you you want the ghost in the pierogi. <laughs> Caller, that's no, a great it was, point. It was a you know, I I don't know. I have mixed feelings about the direction that the economy is going to. But you know, uh, I should, actually that's funny that you mentioned that. Brent crude oil is seventy five dollars a barrel, down four percent on the week, and Bitcoin is sixty three hundred dollars, down five percent on the week. So you know, I guess commodities wise, not a great time. Can you translate the value of pierogies? Uh, I mean, I assume that those if those two things are down, then everything's down. But I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that. I mean, right. Moving on. I wanted to I wanted to go on to our segment we call Dead Letterbox because this is where we read stuff written by dead people and then we comment on it or argue with these dead people about it. Do you want to talk about the Davis Tower? Oh sure, yeah, no, bring it on. This is I um, can I can I just go uh, ahead. One or yeah, quick. you could ask some actual questions too. I it, it, I kind of have a question. So you said you came out here from Boston um, when gentrification was kind of like pricing people out out that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boston's only got more expensive. Are you hoping to catch the downslide or if you? <sighs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's like a, a speculation sort of thing going on that we should all be aware of that like Boston's going to start taking a hit and it's going to get cheaper to live in soon. Oh really? I hadn't heard that. No, but, I'm, um, I'm hearing it from you. That's why I wasn't sure if you were you were letting on that you had some inside knowledge. So yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's more like um, a lot of the um, houses that I'd been living in with people and stuff like that were getting shut down, yeah. so that's why I moved out here. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of part of why I'm not super stoked about moving to Boston from Worcester is that it's way more expensive. It's crazy expensive. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it feels weird to be... Um, you know, moving into neighborhoods where you just feel like a lot of people have had to leave because mm-hmm. um, Most of being of the priced city. out. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. what what part of Boston is the conservatory in? Um, it's in like the Huntington Ave area, close to Berkeley, Symphony oh, okay. Hall. Um, so that seems like an in, a reasonably inexpensive neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be living uh, in JP. So. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, any other questions, Brendan? No. Any other callers? No. Thank God. Okay, <laughs> we're going to talk about most uh, Olivia. I don't know. You, I don't know if you ever listened to the show. Most of the time, the callers just play white noise. So I do want to thank the <laughs> caller first for talking. For talking. Um, you know, this week doing research, I ran into this uh, this thing that I want to read. This is uh, an issue of the Worcester Light Magazine from Saturday, March eighth, eighteen ninety. The cover story is about the tower at Lake Park, A.K.A. Davis Tower. Um, and this is a tower which, depending on your sources, it, the Internet tells us it was built in 1884 and demolished in 1969. Sources that I trust more say it was built in 1889 and demolished in 1971. But who knows? I haven't really done the research on this. Uh, 
I'm going to read this and or some excerpts from this. And the way that we do this, Olivia, so it's not too boring, is feel free to interrupt whenever you want to interrupt. Okay. We, you don't have to. I mean, this person's dead. They're not going to be offended that, you know, <laughs> that, that uh-huh. you broke up their beautiful prose. Set upon a rock even more solid than itself and builded not for this generation nor for the next, but for ages to come, the tower at Lake Park inspires something of awe as well as of admiration. The tower has not yet become a familiar object to the Worcester people. It was completed in the latter part of last summer, and with the coming of the busy days of fall, people began to think more of affairs in town than of outings at the lake. It will not be long, however, before the season for lake pleasurings will be at hand, and the tower is to be henceforth one of the chief points of interest in Worcester's holiday ground. It is easy of access, though charming drives through charming drives or pathways, and will have daily visitors as the season advances. This really struck me, um, especially the part where it starts off talking about how it's uh, going to be here for not only generations, but ages to come, when it lasted maybe uh, less than 100 years. Also, this part later, part later on talking about how probably it's really earthquake-proof, mm-hmm. although apparently not like... Sledgehammer-proof. Wind and rain-proof. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This, this is an, I mean, this is a beautiful, I mean, this is like a beautiful thing. It kind of looks like Bancroft, like half of Bancroft yeah, Tower. Yeah, wait, so where is this tower? So this this is demolished. Oh, this, okay. This was on, this is near, this is in Lake Park. Um, a guy named Bigelow, who also built White City, donated mm-hmm. the land to the city. And this dude Davis, I shouldn't say dude, the Honorable Mr. Davis was the <laughs> former mayor the of Worcester. Mm-hmm. It's kind of confusing because I think that there were different plans that got adapted as they worked it out. What eventually ended up happening is at the highest point, around the park, or at least the highest point in the land that they owned, they built this tower. Later generations decided that they built this tower to memorialize uh, a kidnapping of some kids by Indians. This was not a kidnapping related to um, the burnings down of the city, either. This is like between. This is kind of like a... Um, a separate kidnapping. Kind of like a boring... I mean, honestly, a boring kidnapping as these kidnappings go. <laughs> Nobody burned anything down. But um, uh, And then Davis spent $8,000 to build this tower... Uh, the internet tells me that this is a quarter of a million dollars in today's money to really? build this tower. Yeah, that kind of—I st- I don't mean to ju- be judgmental here, but it kind of looks like the sort of tower that an extremely eccentric, maybe crazy person would build out in the desert somewhere, or like you know, on a their property just in the backyard, just because they always wanted a castle. It does look kind of like an outsider art. Castle. I kind of feel like that. We could probably rebuild that if we wanted to. There's, I mean, you can't dig more than a foot in the ground without finding that much field stone everywhere in Worcester. That's yeah. You know, I think that sometimes we think about, um, I don't know, some, you know, sometimes we think about uh, decisions that the city makes as far as, uh, you know, like pensions or whatever, that maybe it decides economic growth will continue forever, and then that stops happening, and then mm-hmm. suddenly the city's like, oh, no. This feels like a similar thing, where in 1890, the city population was booming, but it was basically, it was like nothing. It was like a third of what it would eventually mm-hmm. become. And so I assume that they were just like, yeah, we'll build a quarter of a million dollar tower and like give you a bunch of land. And like, of course, of course, the city's going to maintain this tower. Like, are you nuts? Like, the city will do that. It's peanuts. But then the city was like, nope. Even even into the 1930s, reading about it in the 30s, people were pretty much like, oh yeah, this tower is cool. We're going to have this tower for a long time. People were really like hanging out at this tower. But it was not to be. Yeah. Like 40 years later, they knocked the sucker down. I think we should, we can rebuild this, Mike. What are we, what are we, okay. We're rebuilding this. We're gonna this rebuild is not this. a direction I expected this conversation to go, but I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited that that's on Narwhal true. Island. I'm excited that I, that's I, I, I keyed island. you in on the the piece of property I've laid, laid claim to Narwhal Island. You and I are going to start rebuilding that tower. 
This is 508 Worcester's week-by-week good-faith survey of evidence. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Out, out are the lights, out all, and over each quivering form, the curtain, a funeral pall, comes down with the rush of a storm, and the angels, all pallid and wan, uprising, unveiling, affirm, that the play is the tragedy, man, and its hero, the conqueror, worm. Live from the hidden depths of Wormtown in a basement down an alley, this is 508, a show about Worcester. You know what I decided this week, Brendan Mellican? What's that, my And identity? Olivia WB, our guest. Hi, Olivia. Hello. How's it going? Good. I decided, you know, just, you know, th- we just had the anniversary of Wormtown, and we had the usual voices saying the usual things, which was, it was kind of amazing to me that there were actually still haters of Wormtown, mm-hmm. such as Jordan Levy. I want to, like, integrate the idea of Wormtown so much into, like, Obviously, that's like disgusting. It's kind of a derogatory name. All the better, right? But I also just want to like pull in the idea of like the power of worms. So like the shy halud in Dune, you know, the giant sandworms in Dune. Sure. They're sandworms, man. Mm-hmm. Or like the conqueror worm, death. Death himself is a worm. I do want to talk about the diocesan code of ministerial conduct. Is this going to freak you out if we talk about this? Gonna freak who out? Is this gonna freak anybody out if we talk about this? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know yet. So okay, well you we'll can find le- out. let me know. So this is so this is a document from October two thousand four. Um, so I have been I am a I am a, ca- a church going Catholic and I have been a lector for a long time and I recently had to get a Cory check. I don't know what is going on that I had to get a Cory check, but there you go. And I had to sign the diocesan code of ministerial conduct. And I said, oh, can you give me a copy? And they were like, oh, it hasn't changed. It's the same one as before. And I'm like, I've never seen this. So whatever it's been, 10 plus years, I have not seen this. And this is basically just saying like the normal stuff that you would expect for it to say, um, including, I love this part, though, maintaining appropriate boundaries. Physical contact with minors beyond a handshake or a high five can be misconstrued both by minors and adults and should not occur except under appropriate public circumstances. So I appreciate that they endorse the high five. I love giving high fives, and a lot of people think it's a weird thing. No fist bumps or, you know. Do, do they have any, do they draw it, lines about what kind of handshake? Is it it like doesn't get the, into The formal gentleman's it doesn't, handshake? I mean, can you, like, cross I, bring in? This is very much like this kind of document you have in your workplace, like a sexual harassment document, hmm. you know, which in part exists because there are people on the margin who are dumb enough to not realize this, but in part it just exists to be like, 
now you can't say you didn't know. Well, and to be fair, there was a moment in time where the diocese did need a little bit of reminding uh, about some of these boundaries that wasn't too long ago. Oh my goodness. Well, this is why it's really got this is why it's really reminding me of this, man. I don't know if you've been following the drama down in Washington D.C. Theodore Cardinal McCarrick, the former Archbishop of Washington, D.C., has finally been exposed as a sexual predator years into his retirement. And uh, this story is just nuts. And then also down in Chile, there was a, um, I think it was a bishop who was accused of things, and then the Pope was, like, defending him, Mm -hmm. and then people were like, no, this guy's a dirtbag. He might have just been a priest. And then the Pope was like, okay, I'll send a guy, and the guy went to Chile, and the guy was like, yeah, this is a guy, a dirtbag, and there's a lot of problems here. And then all of the bishops of Chile sent the Pope a resignation letter. He's only accepted the resignation of two of them so far, but they were all just literally like, yes, we are terrible. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have done a terrible job. And it was making me look at all of these statistics around abuse in the Diocese of Worcester and in the diocese where I have grown up. So, like, on the one hand, this is an organization that should not be doing evil stuff. Mm -hmm. Additionally, this is a lot of evil stuff Mm -hmm. over a long period of time. But, like, the way that it's been handled continues to amaze me. Like, I don't understand the agenda. Like, it's not the agenda of somebody who was trying to cover it up or minimize the damage. It's not the agenda of someone who's trying to deal with a problem. It's the agenda of someone who is incompetent. That's my sense. Yeah, well, we've also gone through, what, three popes in that time frame, too? So I think that's the sen- that, that sense is probably a- you're able to have now, but wasn't probably the uh, the way to approach things three popes back. Yeah, you may, it may when be When we were so. shifting people around, right? I mean, yeah. Car- Cardinal Law was, was oh, shipped back to the Law. Vatican for a reason. Uh, we have, we, I mean, for the, we spent the last, what, three months talking about the church that's being demoed. That church is being demoed for a reason, right? I mean, that, that yes. was one of the buildings the diocese sold. Bernard specific, Law is the reason that church is being torn down. Specific, they sold that proper, property specifically to pay for uh, the settlements. I mean, that was, yeah. Uh, maybe go to bishopaccountability.org to look at uh, publicly accused priests in the United States. And I realized that, like, almost no parish that I have ever gone to has actually been affected by this. Essentially no parish, no priest that I've ever known. I think I may have gone to Mass a handful of times with any priest who was accused of anything. So like, in, for example, in the Diocese of Worcester, which is Worcester County, we've got 41. This is a nice thick document if you want to read it, Brendan. In uh, the Diocese of all of the state of West Virginia, I think we have six. Hmm. And in the diocese of half of Oklahoma, where I also grew up, there have been four. So maybe part of it's that there are a lot more Catholics up here. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of it is just that, like, people are just really, people in charge are just really, really bad. at being bad. in charge. Well, They're yeah. just really bad. They're bad at doing anything, man. It seems to be the case. It always shocks me. It always shocks You know, I always felt like. I always felt like I did not really respect the moral authority of the bishops, but that they were, I felt like they were good politicos, they were good uh, admin people, and I feel like this is just every year more of the lesson of this church abuse scandal. They weren't even good at that, man. I got nothing, Mike. Some, I don't know. This is my, this is our little, this is our little, this is Catholic Corner on the 508 show. <laughs> um, yeah, there's but this Gypsy Moth thing, man. We can't really talk about it. I feel like we can't talk about it because we don't know anything about it. So here's something I can tell you. We're yes. at the point now where we're, we're not dealing with the caterpillars anymore that make it sound like it's raining uh, 24 hours a day because yes. they're just pooping constantly as they're eating leaves. Now we're into the moth cycle of things. The thing that's kind of neat about the moths is that you see the brown ones, those are the males, right? They fly, they do their thing, trying to like mate. The the female gypsy moths, they're white, and they don't fly. So they just stick to a tree and then just mm. kind of wait to be courted, I guess, by the male moths that are fluttering about. But yeah, parts of the, certain parts of the city are just, it's crazy. You look up at the trees and you think you're looking at leaves, 
but then like the a breeze comes by and all the leaves just fly away. It's like there's not much left but but moths. I feel like this is kind of like the conqueror worm, the conqueror moth, tearing yeah. us Do apart. Do we have to rename the city us. now? No, no, no. But still, uh, like I remember when I was a, a kid, my grandmother. There was a big gypsy moth infestation in southwestern mm. Pennsylvania, and my grandmother was just like obsessed with this and had the hormone traps out, pheromone traps out to kill the males. And, but she was very into, like, looking for those female moths on a tree, and then she would just, like, get them with a stick. Mm-hmm. She would just, like, spend – I mean, because she was, like, I love the trees that I have in my yeah. in my woods here. And, like, I'm just trying to picture gonna, grandma walking around whacking moths with a stick, and it's kind of making me happy that – I mean, she <laughs> was – if you think if you think I'm an intense person, Brenda Milliken. <laughs> get near her trees. My, my, my grandparents, man. Yeah. Well, I was always a big fan of Mothra, too, in the uh, old Godzilla series as well. It was probably my favorite accessory monster, because she had, like, little women that would travel around with her and whatnot. Sure. Yeah, so. Sure. Olivia, your your take? My take? I don't know. I don't really know much about the Gypsy Moth thing. I don't know if it's, like, particular to Worcester, if it's, like, a problem regionally, or what's going on with it, but I have seen a lot of them, and I think it's pretty intense how much they poop yeah <laughs> have you, caterpillars see I, I live like in the more of the urban part of the city so i see a ton of them flying through but i don't hear this rain sound it, that was a couple that was about a month ago when the caterpillars yeah, were still yeah. feeding before the moth cycle started and yeah it would just like all night long on a quiet night would just sound like it was raining even though it was perfectly dry yeah it's like a beautiful sound too and i remember like realizing when i was walking through the woods like a month ago i was like oh that is poop raining down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike, do you think this is a, a, a worthy of a name change for the? Uh, is 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 that derogatory calling it a gypsy moth? You know, I was looking this up. Did you know that there are one million people in the United States, according to Wikipedia, who are of Romani background? Yeah. Olivia, you're shaking your head. Yes. Do you know something about this? <laughs> no, I was just I was thinking about that actually. Um, the other day when you mentioned that we might talk about gypsy moths on this radio show, I was like, why are they called gypsy moths? There's yeah. no other name for yeah. them. Yeah. The only other name is the Latin name. Do you know where yeah. they came from? You know, they're not native to, to I mean, the gypsies came from northern India. The gypsy moths came from Asia someplace. Well, they were, but how they were imported here. It actually started in Tell Massachusetts. Yeah, no, guy, it, so a guy brought one uh, one collection of them in into Massachusetts. I think it was Malden. This is like an 1860 or 1840 Why do you bring or something. a collection? He was hoping to crossbreed them with traditional... So because they're such prolific breeders and prolific silk makers, he was hoping to use them in oh, conjunction with silkworms silk? for the silk industry. That's like... You know, the, the, not as much as like the tent caterpillars that you uh-huh. see, but, but apparently their silk is is of high quality. So when they're nesting huh. and they're making their cocoons, he had hoped to try and crossbreed them or work them with like traditional silkworms. Uh, they got loose, and he spent a fair amount of time. This guy trying to convince local authorities at the time that like this was a problem. That like, and he knew he really screwed up. My killer like, moths, my mutant. They're going to destroy <laughs> everything, and like everyone just kind of looked at him like crazy like we're not chasing moths around so he spent some time trying to track the moths down never was able to do so and here we are 100 years later uh getting pooped on with uh by caterpillars all summer long it's never gonna end do chestnut people, blight do Go people ahead. make stuff with the gypsy moth silk or caterpillar silk i think they they tried it didn't they work tried. so well i don't think anyone's <laughs> revisited that but uh-huh. yeah they don't have any natural predators over uh-huh. here so they just kind of do their thing yeah yeah that's but this is just like the, the asian longhorn beetle and I'm convinced there's a missed opportunity here to train woodpeckers to go after them. It's, I think this is what we need to do. Then you look like you're waiting for me to make a joke. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious I mean, here. Like <laughs> these, an, these these pests that don't have natural predators. Like we got to create it the predator. It doesn't scale. That's the problem with all. Have these you ever listened to a woodpecker? They'll, they it doesn't peck scale. All the time. Yeah, you need to get them to go up in the trees and just how peck all the moths. It, how long does it take to train a woodpecker? 
How many gypsy moths are there? Like one billion gypsy moths. You need a lot of woodpeckers. It takes you like a week to train a woodpecker. You know, I think it's because I've been so... This, don't take this as insulting. It's just because I've been so sleep deprived the last week. I've had multiple conversations where I just felt like I don't even have the energy. And it keeps reminding me of this moment on Beavis and Butthead Mm -hmm. when they're watching a winger video and Butthead says to Beavis, these guys don't even try. Mm. And then they're just quiet the rest of the time. Do you know who winger is? Mm -hmm. See, this is what I discovered then saying this to people. Everybody who I say to this is like 10 years younger than me. And they're all like, what are you talking about? Who is winger? And I'm like, this is great. Winger has been lost in the cultural memory. The flip side that I realized this week People don't know the song Patience by Guns N' Roses. So funny, my, that song, I actually had that in a playlist last week, and it came on when Oliver was in the car with me, mm-hmm. and he just put his head down and started shaking his head like, Dad, we're listening to a Toyota commercial. And really? I'm like, no, we're not listening to a Toyota commercial, and you get out of the car and walk on, because that's, yeah, because Guns N' Roses have listened, licensed a couple things for the Toyota. They licensed Patience to I think it was Patience. That's so crazy. That's the song that came on, but he recognized one of the riffs as being something that was like, yeah, from a commercial. Do you know Do you know Patience by Guns? See, this is so like we are getting old, though. Like I, we, I, Iris and I had this conversation with Oliver too recently that like he was excited that John Wick Three was coming out, and we made a joke about uh, Days and Confused, you know, like where Keanu Reeves got started, and he's just looking at like couldn't wrap his head around the idea of like this guy not being like top top notch action guy, but like. <laughs> This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. And this is Brendan Milliken, and this is Olivia WB, and I'm Mike Benedetti, and this is the Five Weight Show. I finally got around to watching that clip, just so I could see what you're getting at, because we've talked about this. I never watched Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's kind of a good scene. Episode 8 of the new Twin Peaks is best hour of television ever. Oh, really? I mean, maybe it's not, but I would put it up there. I would put it up there with, I don't mean, I don't know what else is the best... This is we we can't do this. We're gonna get into talking about Star Wars and stuff. This is gonna be a disaster. <laughs> I can I would, skirt around Star Wars. What I would put we? it up there with like your better your better your best episode of Breaking Bad, your best episode of I Seinfeld. Watched, I never watched. Okay, so there's two you more shows I never watched. Bad? I've never seen Seinfeld. I watch comedians and cars getting coffee religiously, but I've never seen an episode of Seinfeld. You know, the city is doing this thing that they're apparently getting a huge amount of press on, where they're gonna try to do um they're gonna try to do like a name and shame thing on uh people who are littering. Mm. Um, Focus more on dumping, though, right? On dumping, yeah. Yeah. But they have, like, this whole... I mean, anybody at home who thinks, like, you know what? The city is not taking this seriously enough. Like, I've seen, you know, the born identity or whatever. They're not using that kind of technology. Hmm. Mission Impossible. Oh, they are. Hmm. They are. Um, It's incredible. Like, they have, like, these 20 cameras. They put them in these tactical areas. They have people who they've busted for throwing stuff out of the window of their car driving down the street. Hmm. It's like crazy. What are the fines looking like? I mean, it's like a pretty. I mean, it's like whatever. It's it's just sort yeah. of like it's just just sort of like whatever. It's like a couple hundred bucks. Uh-huh. But um, and sometimes you know it's hard to get people to 
pay the fine. But um, the so, shaming thing kind of yeah. works though too. We've talked about this in the past. Well, that, this is the new thing. The new thing is that they're going to be like, Olivia, not only did you throw a Dunkin' Donuts bag out the window of your car, so you owe us a two hundred dollar fine, but here it is on YouTube. A video really? of you throwing a bag out the window. That's yep. so weird. I just meant, weird. Are you gonna have a YouTube like channel for that? I don't know if it's gonna be. On, I assume it's gonna be on YouTube. It's gonna yeah. be Instagram. I don't. I don't know. Here's Snapchat. I don't like that Augustus is gonna be Snapchatting little clips of. Uh, that way, it's not long term. It's just like a temporary shaming. I mean, pe- people hate littering this city. Like, well, but it was, I was getting more at like when we were growing up that like the idea of the the sad Native American guy, right? I mean, it, yeah. the public shaming that went along with the crying Native American guy who was actually an Italian actor. Do you know who um, he wasn't Italian, by the way? What's up? That is a myth. It was interesting. The myth ends here. Okay, okay I'm gonna look this up yeah, on my phone. Go ahead. And keep um, but the, I mean, that's how we made uh, most styrofoam, like early styrofoam containers, go away at the time. You know, the things like Big Macs and whatnot were just uh, most fast food came in styrofoam containers. That big littering campaign started, uh, and I think it was probably one of the first times people started realizing that just throwing crap out the window or on the sidewalk was not okay. I was gonna say, like, I feel like there's some sort of a cultural thing or whatever around this too, though, because like I certainly grew up in the era of the crying. Native of America. Right. And I would no longer think of, I would no more think of throwing something on the ground or out the window of my car than I would like walk down the street with a chicken, yeah. chicken on my head. It's not just like, oh, I wouldn't, do, you know, it's not like a repulsive act. It's just like an act that I would never even consider. Although the chicken on your head thing would be kind of neat. But if you could pull th- that off. There's people throwing stuff out their car window all, all the time. Long. I yeah. guess I, I just feel ahead. like though, like, why I like focus on like shaming the individuals doing it when really like so much of what um, I think creates like a culture in which stuff is viewed as disposable um, and you can just throw it anywhere is like the reality that so many uh, companies are just trying to go for the cheapest thing possible so that they can make the most profit possible. And then you've got a lot of planned obsolescence going on. So there's just kind of this like um, the general context right now is that stuff that you buy, you're going to throw away. Hmm. I don't know. And then. There's not really uh, great systems for um, like mitigating all of the waste that our culture creates all the time. So it's kind of like this like nihilist thing of like, well, it's all going to go to a landfill. It's just going to end up trash somewhere else, anyways. You know, like I think that we need like rather than just like shaming people in order to get them to stop doing that. I think that there needs to be like a larger overhaul of like um, maybe the companies creating these products that get wasted all the time, like coming up with something else that's like more sustainable or something see you here's the problem with what you just said is that you are taking a productive sophisticated view of the problem <laughs> which is to, to and to put to put what you said another way only 10 percent of garbage in this company is consumer garbage 90 percent of the trash in this country we never even have an opportunity to interact with yeah and that's what you're talking about like maybe you know if you fix that 90 percent even a little bit that's so much more productive than like worrying about the whole this. the whole place is getting trashed you know like he was a time, by the way, mea culpa. But we can oh. see. There you go. go but ahead. we can, but we can also do both too, right? Like we can have a much bigger philosophical conversation about waste and uh, and consumerism. But we can also make sure that somebody who thinks it's okay to put a used baby diaper, uh, just throw it on the sidewalk, or put yeah. a couch in my dumpster at my business, they should feel bad about themselves. I just I just feel like the local like city government response, like the effort that they're putting should be towards the larger system changing rather than like a shame campaign that to me seems like a waste of resources um 
no pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> I can I can see that. I just it, but the city has a huge problem with garbage, and uh, mm. it's not something that is uh, taking care of itself. And mm-hmm. uh, even if you were to completely reconfigure the way that uh, consumer goods are created starting today, it would still take decades to even begin to retool the entire planet and uh, make yeah. sure that philosophically, I think you're 100 percent correct. But yeah. just from a day to day sort of thing, like just we probably shouldn't find needles everywhere like we probably yeah. shouldn't find garbage everywhere and I'm, I'm definitely into not having litter and especially yeah. like safe disposal of needles and stuff like that that's like a public health concern um i just wish that in the you know even in the short run that um people weren't like kind of wasting their efforts on just like increasing surveillance mm. and you know that i can that get seems, down with too that yeah. seems really creepy to me and like um you know Orwellian to like mm-hmm. uh, address litter by just increasing surveillance and then you know turning turning people into judges of each other um, mm-hmm. on things rather than creating like more public services to deal with the. Yeah. I don't disagree at all, but here we are with sitting in front of us with uh, the world's greatest surveillance devices in front of each one of us. You know this. Um, yeah, it's freaky. <laughs> this um, I mean, this ties into something we talked about before, which is that uh. You know, there's a good argument to be made that having more police would be very economically beneficial. That, like, if we put $100,000 more into the cops, we would, like, save more than $100,000 in the city of Worcester. And you, Brenda Milligan, have pointed out that if you have, like, whatever, you know, 50% more cops, you have, like, way more than 50% less crime, probably, but you also have this problem of, like, now suddenly you're going to get busted for jaywalking. Now Mm -hmm. suddenly you are going to get busted for whatever sort of minor technically illegal things that you just do as a day on a daily basis you know olivia just drove a car the wrong way down a one-way street as did i it as did you and the cop just walked by like it was nothing well he actually he waved better, me down told better. me it was okay to do it oh did he really well because they blocked off the other side of waldo street would have okay. been nice if you told <laughs> anyway, me when you came down but by. anyway we just had but you know you could have this vision of as world was say a boot stamping on a human face forever mm-hmm. or a cop busting you for driving down the one-way street just because he has the t- like do you feel i mean i'm just wondering like like right now i don't even know who we have on the trash thing like worcester legend dan cahill and probably about two more people at the city mm-hmm. working on this do you feel like if the city had like 25 people working on this that would be have a lot of negative externalities or do you think that would be a good idea no i don't think it'd be a good idea at all i actually think that what the city should do is long in the short term is actually be focusing on like like meaningful trash collection programs that ours is kind of outdated here right and and i think that's something the business communities in particular have been talking about quite a bit like we don't have neighborhoods that have trash barrels in them like downtown worcester and then green island are the only areas that actually have trash barrels right so like i was joking about throwing diapers on the ground the reality is there's nowhere else to put it like unless you're going to bring it home with you which from my perspective as a parent that's kind of what you're supposed to do but i get it maybe some people don't realize that and just throw it on the ground um so like that's the most important part right is actually having a, a a scalable trash collection program so people don't just throw things on the ground but then there's the education side of things too that is very much i think a local and a cultural thing as well too that it's similar to our smoking rates right being higher than both the state and the national average and knowing that smoking uh correlates with both education and income levels right the only two things that correlate with smoking in america anymore and garbage isn't too much different, right? When you and I were kids, like being in traffic and watching somebody throw an empty bag of McDonald's stuff out the window was normal. It was just, that's what people did. You were driving down the road and just whatever you had went out the window. We had to teach people that that wasn't good for anybody. That was not true when I was a kid. 
What's that? that well, yeah, I know, but you grew up in the woods, and there was only four people. I grew up, I grew up <laughs> around a lot of... Four sex-offending priests in your neighborhood. I grew up but there around was 41 a, up here. a ton it's, of Native Americans, as I like to point out. My fifth-grade teacher was the editor of the Cherokee Almanac. No kidding. And they and when they and then when they would cry, I would know. Not Cities like Worcester and Boston were filthy. Do we, uh, just, do we have to stop doing the show? We have two minutes. I want to give my perspective because e- so even though I just talked about how people hate trash, mm-hmm. and we've talked about how there's more root causes we could deal with, we could not. We could try to become less of a city of haters rather than more of a city of haters. For me, the core of this whole project. For me, in my way I look at it, is this Mission Impossible side. Is these camouflaged cameras. They had one that was in a rock. I dude figured out it was in a rock, and they found it in the dude's fire pit. Like, these cameras are amazing. And they're, like, putting them, they only have, they're putting them in special places. They're getting these videos. They're making people stop throwing trash out their window. It's just, like, this very, like, Navy SEALs kind of trash thing. I just think this is amazing. I don't think we should spend more money on it, but I'm glad that we're doing it. I'm glad that there's somebody in the city whose job it is. Between the two of you, like I don't like the additional surveillance stuff. The the extra surveillance stuff kind of bugs me out. The shaming part I actually like, and and this is something (laughs) I do all the time. Like while I'm driving, if somebody driving a jeep, right, with no doors on it, somebody throws something out the window of the car in front of me or behind me, or I see somebody litter, I just yell at them, and like that's a one-on-one sort of shaming. And I guess we could deal with that, like as individuals if necessary, but I don't necessarily think it should be uh, the city uh, taking responsibility for that because that's kind of weird um, but yeah I don't see anything wrong with pointing out bad behavior when you see it Olivia thanks for being on the show and we want to give you the last word on why we should not become more of a nation of cops oh wow that's a big take one take your time yeah uh, I basically just like feel in general like um, increasing surveillance in order to get people to act in a certain way like to act in order that's like a really sketchy path to be going down. Um, I just think that um, when you give like systems of power that much control over you, where they're monitoring you all the time, they're controlling you through your emotions by like trying to get you to do certain things based off of shame. Like then, if you if you're in a situation where someone sketchy comes into power that just gives them all the more ability to have more control over you. It just seems like a really messed up path to be going down. I don't like the the feeling already that like is already omnipresent like everywhere you go, the feeling of being watched like constantly. Um, and I, I just think it's a really... Um, honestly, I think it's a fascist way of controlling people to just make them feel like they're constantly being watched and um, and if they do something that's out of line from what they're told that they should do, that they're going to be penalized for it. Um, I understand that we're just talking about littering and like I'm not into littering, I don't like it. I'm not into um, how waste in general works in our society. I think it's super messed up. Um, but I think that that is a really dangerous path to be going down, a really dangerous precedent to yeah. set. Um, in terms of enforcing stuff. We'll leave it there. Thanks to Gabrielle Powers for engineering the show. We'll see you next week, Worcester. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised that you were actually doing the camera thing. That, that part of it.